Good morning, everybody. So we are in Daniel uh, chapter 9. Now we've talked about the fact that you can kind of divide Daniel into a couple of big sections. The first uh, six books, of course, uh, we heard those accounts of you know, the famous stories that we've heard so many times, you know, in the lion's den, in the fiery furnace, and so forth. We've talked about how the last uh, half of the book uh, is more uh, prophetic, uh, with a lot of apocalyptic language, uh, symbolic language. We've certainly been up to our elbows in that the last several weeks. Um, it will kind of all come together, um, hopefully. Uh, we have an interesting section today in Daniel chapter 9, though. And this is a, um, uh, a section that is actually so remarkable and, and in some ways uh, so different from the rest of the book that uh, it's been one of those many reasons why skeptics have uh, sometimes said, well, maybe Daniel wasn't all written by Daniel and maybe it wasn't all written at the same time and so forth. But uh, as, as God speaks through the people that wrote scripture, um, those circumstances make a difference. So as we, as we go through this, you'll see a different perspective, I think. Uh, we've had several times when uh, dreams, uh, uh, were, you might say, kind of imposed on uh, like Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. Uh, then we've had uh, times when uh, visions and dreams and so forth came to Daniel as well. Um, in this particular case, we have... Um, in the last part of chapter 9 uh, we have a, a revelation given to Daniel but it's given because he's, he's asking he's asking for God to basically change his mind for God to, uh, to do something new uh, in, in his life and, and even more so to do something new in the life of uh, the people of Israel who were in exile. So uh, the last part of Daniel 9, which picks up in ch uh, verse 20, is going to be the focus of next week, uh, but it's really important to see what leads up to this uh, wonderful answer. Uh, in verse 20, Gabriel shows up again and says, uh, when, when I heard you, uh, I started coming to you with an answer. So in the first 19 verses, we're going to see uh, what is it that Daniel was asking and, and why was he asking it. So uh, it's, um, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's, it's a very, um, it's a very different feel, but I think it's driven by where Daniel's heart was at the moment. Um, a lot of this uh, first section is actually going to be a prayer and you'll see that as we go into it. All right, so beginning in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So just looking at a, a couple of basics, um, in the first year of Darius, uh, the son of Ahasuerus. So we are now uh, in that first year of Babylon is over, and now the, this Medo-Persian empire that 
has come into place and Darius was one of the um, people appointed as king over that particular region and uh, that's our time frame so we we know by now that uh, uh, Daniel is well into his 80s and has uh, been in exile uh, since he was a teenager and we, we, we know that history so what was he doing it says I perceived in the books Daniel was in the books <clears throat> and which book was he in specifically he was in the book of Jeremiah and he was reading Jeremiah and he says I perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem so what were the desolations of Jerusalem well that's you know the exile the the destruction of the city uh, and the region that included the destruction of the temple and he's reading in Jeremiah that there's going to be an end to this and he realizes we're getting close we're getting close he's been there a long time it says 70 years we're getting close so let's look at where we don't know exactly where he may have been reading but we can get some ideas so turn with me if you would to uh, Jeremiah uh, let's maybe verse I mean uh, chapter 25 it's to the left of Daniel Jeremiah 25 we'll probably pick up in verse um, 11 I guess And again, Jeremiah was a prophet writing about what was going to happen. Verse 11, it says, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon... I will bring upon that land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to the deeds and the work of their hands. So, 70 years. It's there a couple times. If you flip over to Jeremiah 29... Context is, is always nice to see things in their original context. In the passage I'm going to read, you'll, you'll find uh, a set of verses that um, is near and dear to so many. And uh, we quote them often and apply them personally, and, uh, as, as we should, of course. But here we get to see uh, those verses uh, in, their, in their original context and uh, become even more meaningful. So verse uh, 10 of chapter 29. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Here's the verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. 
and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. If Daniel was reading this and seeing that these 70 years are coming to a close, and he reads this, what is there for him to do? What does it say has to happen? It says, if you'll call upon me and pray to me, you will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. So what we're going to see in Daniel 9 is exactly this. Daniel is reading this and immediately becomes very clear to him what he needs to do. So back to Daniel 9. Verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. And we'll go on. Look at all the things that happen in these first verses. It says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God. In his actions and his posture, he was just focused on God. Does God hear us as we're, you know, in the middle of horrible traffic and next thing you know there's construction and tons of red lights ahead of us and we pray, God help me? Well, of course, he does. But does he hear us when we are all about him and all focused on him? Yes, he does. And that's what he did. He not only changed his posture, he, he changed his clothes. Sackcloth and ashes, just that, that sign of humility saying that, you know, I mean, he was, he was essentially royalty. He was a huge leader in Babylon slash that section of Persia. He, he probably had to request sackcloth. And it's probably not something he kept around. This was maybe even just a loincloth. Naked, except for that, before God. Oh, the Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. So much of what we think of the exile, we think of um, the Jews there in this foreign country and we think of the actions of these pagan leaders and what they're doing to them and to oppress them and to throw them in fiery furnaces and make them bow down to idols and all those things that we've heard. But this is different, right? This is Daniel saying, you know what? 
This is nobody's fault but ours. This is nobody's fault but ours. The predicament that we're in is because of what we did. It's because of what we did. And he's taking that and realizing that even though it probably wasn't mostly him, right? I mean, he was 13, 14, 15. It was the leaders then that resulted in this. But here's this whole generation that's been there. But yet he's connecting. This is punishment that goes back to then. And and it's all us. We take that responsibility. He says, I'm going to make a confession. And he goes through, verse 6, We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke it in your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, to all the people of the land. In other words, even when you spoke to the prophets, we didn't listen. We know that from Jeremiah and others. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness because we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he had set before us by his servants and prophets. All Israel, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him several years ago we went through the book of Joshua and we saw Joshua reaffirm this covenant turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 28 Uh, go toward the end. Verse 58. If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions. Verse 62, whereas you were as numerous as the stars in heaven, you shall be left few in number because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you, and you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. 
And among those nations you shall find no respite, and there will be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart and falling eyes and a languishing soul, and so forth. Verse 68, And the Lord will bring you back in ships to Egypt, a journey that I promised you, promised, rather, that you should never make again, and there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. In Deuteronomy, this was talked about. So Daniel's putting all this together, saying, you know what? You made a covenant with us. And the reason we're in the shape that we're in is because we disobeyed your covenant. We know from our study in Isaiah all the, the warnings, all the things that they did, the worshiping false idols, the call of the prophets to repent, and here we are. Here we are, and Daniel is putting it all together, saying, this is our shame. 11. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside. Verse 12, he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities, gaining insight by your truth. In other words, all this has come upon us, but we haven't still repented of everything. We still haven't repented. There was um, there was a thinking back in the day that the Israelites would be okay because of Jerusalem and the temple being in Jerusalem. And when the prophets would come and say, you know, this is going to fall, that you're going to, you know, God doesn't like this, uh, you're going to go into exile, God is going to take away the land, they would say. No, we've got Jerusalem. We've got Jerusalem. We, no, we're fine. We've got Jerusalem. And at a certain point, God said, it doesn't matter. As much as God had blessed that city and put his temple there and so forth, that didn't, that didn't offer them a shield, so to speak, from obeying what he said. Let's see, verse 14. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. We have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned we have done wickedly. It's always a good strategy to start your prayers with confession. It 
it just acknowledges the truth of the situation, first of all. Um, and it also gets your heart right. And God knows your heart's right. Um, like you would with any friend. There's, there's something between us. Before we can go forward, we need to clear this out of the way. And, and Daniel, in essence, is, is acknowledging all of this. Um, Daniel is, the, the, the man Daniel is one of the few people in Scripture that uh, we know that he didn't live a sinless life, but the Scripture doesn't call out any specific transgression that Daniel did. Um, but, but he still identifies himself with the sinful people that were there. So now he shifts gears in verse 16. And we're going to hear what his request is. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all around us. In other words, the Everybody knows Jerusalem's nothing now. It's, they're mocking us. Verse 17, Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy, and for your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we did not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness but because of your great mercy O Lord hear O Lord forgive O Lord pay attention and act delay not for your own sake O my God because your city and your people are called by your name I think this verse 17 is just so powerful listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy for your own sake and on down, verse 18, we do not present our plea because of our righteousness, because, but because of your great mercy. We know that we are not worthy of this. I am asking not because of my own righteousness, but because I know that you are a merciful God. And he also knew in Jeremiah there was a promise. There was a promise there that if we would seek God with his whole heart, you would be found. He would be found. Clearly, this is Daniel recognizing we're close. This is it. It said after 70 years and Babylon's going to go away and now we're in the first year. But... I pray it's now, Lord. I pray it's now. Several things that are worth highlighting about this passage because we're going to get this great answer that has a message for us even to today in these next few verses, beginning with verse 20. But we don't often have an Old Testament example like we do here. How does God speak to us? 
How many people have had like the handwriting on the wall? <laughs> Nobody. I'm sorry, Julie, you were starting. Exactly. God speaks to us through the Bible. He communicates to us through his word. That's what, that's what he did with Daniel. How did Daniel know what was going on? How did it come to him? I mean, he's in his 80s. He was just reading. He was in the books. I was in the books. That's still how God speaks to us. I mean, one of Daddy's favorite expressions is that God gets blamed for a lot. You know, we some people will be very casual nowadays. Well, God told me to go do so and so. Okay. Um, what scripture <laughs> led you to that assumption? You know, is that consistent with scripture? You know, now I know that there are people who, you know, might make a certain decision about this or that, and, and they may, may feel that that's in accordance with how God would want them to live and act and behave and so forth, and, and that's fine. But I think we probably do need to be a little cautious that our own impressions and our own inclinations don't get directly connected to God speaking to us. The Holy Spirit, of course, can speak to us, but he's always going to be consistent with Scripture. Right? So if, you know, if some young fella says, God told me to go marry so-and-so who's not a Christian, I know God didn't say that. Right? God, no. Sorry, you clean out your ears a little bit. That's not, <laughs> you missed it. So the nature of prayer is just what we see here. Daniel was in the book. He was listening. He was paying attention. And then he prayed. God speaks to us through the word. We speak to God through prayer. God shows us something else in the word. That relationship develops. The Holy Spirit makes us a little bit more sensitive to the things that we're reading in the Word. We respond a little more. Next thing you know, growth is happening. Next thing you know, we're becoming more Christ-like. Next thing you know, um, our command of Scripture increases and, and the Holy Spirit can use that and bring to mind things that maybe we didn't read that morning. Maybe we read it six mornings or six years of mornings before. But because we've been in the Word, it's, it's just kind of the way it works. And we don't often see this Old Testament example, but it's certainly a rich one. The other thing that we see in this passage, which um, one commentator said, you know, the idea of covenant is so, so permeates all of Scripture, but sometimes it just lies in the background until it just kind of bubbles up at the right moment kind of surfaces at the right moment. So here we have, through Scripture, once again, this concept of covenant. This amazing covenant, this contract, this treaty, this agreement between us and God, so one-sided, 
God doing so much more for us and not asking that much in return. But we have this concept of covenant. God has has reached out to this people. You know, this is certainly a message that is all about uh, the the nation of Israel. Commentators have pointed out this is the first time in the book where uh, the name of God Jehovah is used. Uh, this connection, you know, you're Jehovah God. Uh, you are the God of Abraham and Moses and so forth. And you did make a covenant with us. And you're not through with us. You're not through with us. And it brings us all the way to Jesus. And he said, I'm making a new covenant. Old covenant stuff is still happening, but but here's here's a new and better covenant. God thinks a lot of his covenants. Reading what happens through the the lens of, of covenant starts to make sense. Well, well now we understand why everybody's in exile. Now we understand why things aren't going well for the Jews. Now we understand why people like Daniel can have hope that there's something better. Now that we, you know Nehemiah gets word, it's okay to go be re, to go rebuild the wall. Uh, God's all about restoration, and we saw in Isaiah that you know there'll be a day when everything is made right because God keeps His covenants. Something else to call out from this passage. If you turn back to verse 4. And there's so much theology in Daniel's prayer. Theology is is what we learn about God. Um, God acts in accordance with his character. Uh, he's, he is a just God. It's the justness of God that lands the exiles where they are, right? I mean, a God can't pronounce this y'all this is what's going to happen if you disobey this is what's going to happen when you disobey this is what's going to happen when you disobey and by the way now that you're in the promised land and joshua's there i just want to remind you one more time this is what's going to happen if you disobey i mean a just god can't not follow through right so we learn about that in this passage but we also learn verse four God who keeps covenant and has steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. This steadfast love, this is that constant loving kindness. This, um, I'm not sure how to say it, but the, apparently the Hebrew word is hased. This constant loving kindness toward us, um, it's part of who he is, that he is constantly reaching out for us. He is constantly there for us, even when we're not there for him. His love is constant and and engaging toward us. It's not just a off to the side, come back to me and I'll be nice to you sort of love. No, constantly engaging. I mean, the whole the whole Bible is really God's has said his steadfast love to us reaching toward us 
to redeem us because he's that's who he is he's constantly loving he's constantly wanting to gather us together he's constantly wanting the best for us there's no petty jealousy like the idols and greek mythology and all that's not that's not our god so we hear about that here one other thing i'll just call out and i'm not even sure how to talk about this really but it seems like there's something here about how we should handle how God works with us across generations. What does God want to do with us across generations? Um, I'm not sure, but I think it, it was in Jeremiah I was reading earlier that it really talked about what would happen after the exile and the restoration. And here in Daniel we find he's looking back over his entire life. Oh, I don't know what it was. When in, in Jeremiah when when he's prophesying about what's going to happen with the exile, he tells them get comfortable. Make the land good, build houses, build farms make babies try to try to you know work for the prosperity of the country where you are because you know if you basically if you bless this country it'll bless you because that's where you're going to be for a while he says kind of get comfortable if you're a parent think about this if you're a parent you are maybe you were an adult a young adult at the time when you're literally being relocated from the promised land to this pagan land and now you now you're got to tell your children those children were the ones that 30 40 maybe even their grandchildren would have been the ones at the end of this 70 years when Nehemiah said we're going back to build up Jerusalem. Those children and grandchildren wouldn't have even known what Jerusalem was like unless the stories were told. The scripture was read. The, the promises were repeated. Right? There was responsibility there even though they were in exile to teach this, these next generations this is who our God is. We we rebelled, but He says, you know, He we have loving kindness. He's a good God. Um, this is what Israel used to be like. This is what Jerusalem used to be like. Um, it's going to be like that again. It'll it'll be on you, kids. It'll be on you to do this. So I'm not I'm not exactly sure the full application of that, but as I was thinking about that, it, it does make you think. What are, those, what are those big messages that I need to make sure get transferred to the next generation even if 
all that needs to happen is they need to transfer that same message to their next generation. What, what are the things that they need to know about the Bible and who God is and what covenant's all about and, and, and what his steadfast love is like? And, you know, and I think if we start maybe doing that better, and I'm speaking to myself here, the petty day-to-day stuff kind of starts to fade a little bit, doesn't it? Because you got the big picture involved. And I I don't know that that... I don't know. I, I think that's something that maybe somebody else needs to develop. It just occurred to me earlier as I was reading this, but I think there's there, there maybe is something in our churches that we need to do a little bit better job of that. Um, I don't know. All right. We're going to quit. Daniel's prayer. Rich, rich stuff. This is very, um, it's different, right? This is different from the other parts of Daniel. I thought it was kind of a nice place to pause today. And um, it also kept me from having to deal with the 70 weeks thing, uh, which Dad's going to do. Any comments? All right. Father, we thank you that you are such a loving God who, through the new covenant, has brought us non-Jews into your family and we are so grateful through your Holy Spirit help us to live like the children we need to be in Jesus name Amen thanks everybody